Welcome into the Fan Wagon Podcast. I'm Joey, and in the fourth edition of the pod, my co-host Leo and myself put our focus in on Toronto. And who better to talk Toronto sports than with the jack-of-all-trades of Sportsnet 590, the fan, and John Mayer connoisseur, Rob Wong. He's been covering Toronto sports for a decade uh, with a big emphasis on the Raptors, but he covers all sports and he gives us a little bit of a synopsis of what the feeling is like after a couple of early playoff exits both in the NHL and NBA obviously the bigger sting being the Raptors getting swept by the Cavaliers in the second round he gives us a little bit of insight of what fans are feeling what we can expect next and how the Blue Jays have their role in keeping everything all together we have a great fun conversation we talked to him for about 40 minutes hope you enjoy the episode it's Rob Wong aboard the fan wagon. Let's go. So, Rob, we have a lot of American listeners, and maybe you can put it into perspective. I mean, you and I would know being Canadian uh, just what the Raptors mean, but the sports market in Toronto is a lot different than, say, in Cleveland and, and everywhere else, uh, especially when it comes to Major League Baseball and the National Basketball Association. How would you describe the 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 culture of the Raptors or the, the fan base of the Raptors and how it differs from other places? Yeah, it is kind of interesting where they sit on the landscape of Toronto. As we know, hockey is king and the Maple Leafs are really king. I shouldn't say hockey. It is a Maple Leafs town. And when it's uh, Toronto Maple Leafs season, they get first billing. And when the Raptors are playing, they get pretty close billing as well. I mean, this year was an exceptional season, 59 wins, and they were really in the forefront. I mean, despite the Maple Leafs being uh, really good this year as well and having one of, if not their best you know, regular season as a franchise, the Raptors were really making waves and obviously south of the border as well. So when both teams are, are going well, the Raptors are still kind of that that second fiddle. But uh, this year was a little bit different. I mean, like you said, people definitely had high hopes for the Raptors coming in to this year. We all thought it was going to be different. So um, generally it's Maple Leafs and then it's Raptors and then baseball season. Obviously, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays are top of mind. But uh, the Raptors have found a pretty good niche. I mean, it is true that they have one of the best – fan bases in all of the NBA and the uh, Raptors fans were there through a lot of tough seasons. And now that they're, they've been good as far as the regular season goes over the last four or five seasons in this, we, the North era, I mean, fans have been, been loving it. And it, it's crazy because as good as this team has been over the last four or five years, it's been the best stretch as a franchise. It's been one of the more disappointing ones because they just have not been able to get over that Cleveland hump. And, and I will say that this was the first year that there were legitimate expectations. You know, we want to talk about the year they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals or even last year getting swept by Cleveland in the second round. You know, it was sort of, you know, let's see how far they can go. And nobody really picked them as a, a favorite in the East. But this was the first year where you had people from ESPN. We know Charles Barkley's a big fan of theirs. We thought this might be the year that they could go to the NBA finals. You could see a pathway of it happening. So the fact that it came crumbling down in the second round, I mean, it's probably one of, if not the most disappointing season, as far as the, the playoffs go in, in Raptors. Yeah, history. Joe and I were talking about that. We were saying that if this is the year, it's this year for them, right? Knowing that the Cavs kind of broke up, Kyrie went to the Celtics and then he went down, Hayward went down, right? The Sixers are young, but they're not there yet. They're not that experienced. We thought really it was going to be between you guys facing either the Warriors, or the Rockets, but yeah, it's just curse of the, the postseason for you guys. It just doesn't seem to work well. Yeah, for whatever reason. And uh, LeBron James is obviously um, a big reason why that's been the case. And, you know, Messiah Jerry, the, the president of the team, talked today and he 
pointed back to game number one, and he thought that maybe if the Raptors were able to get that win, maybe things would be a little different. I mean, they, they would definitely be playing a game five right now this week, but uh, ultimately they, you know, gagged it away in the fourth quarter there, let's be honest, in game number one. And then game number two after halftime was definitely not a good effort, and we know the, the rest of the games, of course, LeBron hitting that big game winner in game three, and then game four was uh, pretty much done after the uh, second quarter at the half so definitely an odd series but you wonder you know if the Raptors get that first game is you know the series a little bit different I'm not entirely sure I mean even the Cavaliers were surprised that they were able to pull that one out so um, they were clearly coming off a tough series against Indiana and you know they were definitely not rested that's for sure having to travel to Toronto so um, you know Messiah Jerry keeps pointing in that I'm going to disagree with him on that I just think this was a flawed roster the Cavaliers, all the things that they, they do well when it comes to LeBron James, of course, and, and Kevin Love, the, you know, the Raptors did not have an answer for him at all in this series. I mean, the Raptors just did not have the personnel to match up with this team. So despite all the warts that the Cavaliers had this year, I mean, it, it's it, you're looking, at it, looking at it now, it almost seems inevitable that this was probably going to be the way it worked out, regardless of how well the Raptors were playing, if they met them in the Eastern Conference Final, if they met them in the second round like they did. I just don't think the you know the the outcome really would have been different because I think the Cavaliers just are set up to beat this Raptors team with the way that they play and the players that they have. Now, Rob, I, I wasn't sold on the Raptors, and I haven't been for a long time. I always felt there was that missing winning culture there. I never did think that DeRozan and Lowry would be the guys to lead the way. But this year, not to say that I believe, but I thoroughly believed if they did not win this year, this was their chance. Even looking past the Eastern Conference with everything that Leo said, that LeBron uh, you know, had a, a weak Cavs team that really was probably the, like mo- the mock of the season and how that team flip-flopped literally overnight. And then they come in and they beat him. But I thought with a weak Cavs team, uh, a Celtics team that's shorthanded, a Sixers team that's inexperienced, I thought this would be the year they get through the Eastern Conference final. And even in the West, assuming... At the time, assuming it, it would be the Rockets and Warriors, which it is going to be, I'm assuming that's going to be a long series, and that's going to be one that's going to be hard fought between both teams. So they'd be going up against a team that's that had some battle scars going in. No one's rolling through to the to the finals this year. Did they miss their opportunity? Is or will they ever get back to where they've been, and or do they have to blow this thing up? Uh, well, everybody, you know, has been talking. You know, we'll see what happens in the off season, but. LeBron James goes west, you know, maybe that's their their best chance, really. I mean, as long as LeBron James is in the Eastern Conference, whether he's playing for Cleveland, whether he decides to go somewhere like Boston or, or Philadelphia next season, I mean, it's it's just going to be bad news for everybody in the East, let alone the Raptors. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you that the Cavaliers uh, are not very good. I mean, the, the Raptors, despite how badly they played on defense, they played exceptional on offense. I mean, the Cavaliers gave them pretty much everything they wanted. They're not a good offensive team, and we'll see what happens the rest of the way for the Cavaliers you know LeBron James is playing arguably the best basketball of his career but if they end up playing Boston or Philadelphia or whoever's coming out of the West you know those teams can play some D and uh, if they can get some stops the Cavaliers aren't going to be able to stop anybody on defense so that's that's really their biggest flaw but you know getting back to your point about the Raptors this this definitely was their best opportunity Uh, it's hard to argue that and you know for the longest time I've I don't know if I'd try, I've tried to defend Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, but I've given them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, when those Cavaliers teams beat them in previous years, those are really good teams. I mean, those were Every teams year. going to the finals. So they were never the favorite in, in those series. So I was going to say, you know, let, let's see what happens in the future. If 
we believe all this culture reset that they're talking about. And ultimately it did work in the regular season. They won 59 games, but now to, to lose this series the way they did in four games and for DeMar DeRozan to basically be a no-show in the final two games. I know it picked up the flagrant two in game number four, but you know, they basically laid down and, and it's hard to, you know, to give them a leg to stand on right now because they just haven't proven to us that, that they can do it. And I'm not entirely a big leave, believer in, in those kind of things like, Oh, there's a, there's a mental hurdle necessarily. I mean, I, I think we overestimate and we underestimate what's going through athletes head. I mean, heads, we just, we just really don't know. And, you know, people love to say guys like DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are, are mentally weak. You know, maybe they are, but who knows? I mean, only they know the answer to that, why they weren't able to show up in that series. And Kyle Lowry did for the most part. I mean, he had a pretty strong postseason, but DeMar DeRozan just was not there. So, you know, heading into next year, I mean, I, I can totally understand why people have doubts about this team and, and moving forward. Can these be the guy? Can, you know, these two guys be the ones to lead this team to the Eastern Conference final once again, to an NBA finals down the road. I mean, it's just very difficult to see it at this point. Do you think they're going to retain uh, Dwayne Casey? There's all these, I mentioned Rats, by the way, I, I, you know, rumors had it that he won the coach of the year and Brad <laughs> Stevens didn't get one vote, which is crazy. That's another <laughs> different topic I want to, I want to touch on later on, but uh, do you think they're going to keep him? Well, the way it stands right now, just looking at some of the reports that are out there, it, it doesn't seem likely. Um, a lot of local Toronto reporters are, are saying that the Raptors are definitely leading as, as far as, you know, changing the coach. So, you know, right now, just what we, with what we know, it doesn't look likely. Um, now, should he stay? I mean, you can definitely make an argument, I mean, for, for continuity. And, you know, that, that definitely, um, you know, can help because Dwayne Casey's been here for such a long time. DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, that relationship that they have, it really has grown over the years. There's a lot of trust amongst those three. Um, but, you know, somebody has to take the fall for this. And, you know, you can't fire the players Messiah Jerry's not going anywhere. So, you know, Dwayne Casey's probably the guy, whether you think it's right or wrong, that that's going to be the, the guy that leaves town, unfortunately, as, as far as the first domino goes. I mean, we'll see what happens when the roster, and, and we'll touch on it momentarily. But, yeah, th at this point, I would definitely say just, you know, not knowing any inside formation that it, it's probably likely that Dwayne Casey's not back next year. Okay, Rob, take me through the day after because – we should note that you and I actually met when I was an intern at the Fan 590 and you were working there. And I remember as an intern, I was working on the morning show at the time. And it was the time where the Bruins had just beat the Leafs. I <laughs> uh, remember the, the third period collapse. And I remember coming into work before five in the morning and seeing the phones lit up with callers just ready to tear everybody a new one. What was the morning like the morning after? What was it like at the station having to deal with all the, was it angry fans? Were they calling for people's heads or did they kind of see this coming? It's, it was weird because they were somewhat favorites, but it was that whole LeBronto thing. You know, LeBron owns Toronto. It's the one team he owns in the playoffs. It's been the narrative of this whole playoff. So what was the feeling that morning after they were eliminated and swept? Yeah. Well, I think, it was sort of like uh, a fait accompli. Like people just realized that, you know, it was going to be over. Uh, I don't think anybody had any belief that the Raptors were going to be able to extend the series. I mean, once, once it got to game four, once it got to halftime, I think people kind of realized like, okay, this is done. Now what do we do? And, and, you know, there's definitely that crowd of the, the blow it up. I mean, that's, that's definitely been a lot of the talk of late that, you know, you can't win with DeMar DeRozan. You can't win with Kyle Lowry. Something's got to change, but Ultimately, the Raptors are in a tough spot here because with the contracts they have, the cap constraints that they have, they're not going to be able to blow it up. And maybe the best thing to do is bring these guys back and, you know, try 
to make some internal changes, whether it's with the coach, whether it's with new defensive schemes or whatever, um, it's going to be difficult for Masai Ujiri to, to move out some of these guys because ultimately you're moving DeMar DeRozan out right now at, you know, not at his lowest value because he is coming off a great regular season, but you know, that playoffs really exposed him once again for, you know, the, the, the weaknesses in his game, whether it's the three point shot or the defensive weaknesses that he has. So um, it's, it doesn't seem like a great spot right now that Masai Ujiri is in as far as his roster goes. So, um, you know, the realistic look at it is, you know, most of these guys are coming back and it's going to be difficult to, to make any moves. So I think a lot of the fans want to blow it up, like I said, but I think there's a large part of the fan base that realizes, you know, it's going to be difficult as far as the, the outlook on the team. I mean, people realize it was a fun season, 59 wins. There was a lot of great moments, but like I was saying before, I think a lot of people are looking at this team moving forward that, you know, it's going to be difficult to sell uh, the fan base on that, you know, this is the core that can get the job done moving forward. I mean, they, they, they really, you know, have used to have a pretty long leash and, and now it's pretty short coming off this postseason. So I think the fan base is just disappointed once again for, for, you know, another season where the Raptors were not able to get over that Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James hump. I think a big thing about the, the Raptors who are just Toronto in general is that I'm hearing that a lot of free agents don't want to go to Toronto because of the fact of the weather and things like that, right? I think that's a major factor. So I think you really keep what you have with your core group of guys, maybe find an extra piece in your starters. Uh, but yeah, I don't think – I hate the fact that they always blame it. Like you say, it has to fall on one guy, and it goes most of the time on the actual coach, unless you're LeBron in 2011 finals, right? It was, it was his fault. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just – I think you guys have a solid squad. I think the roster moves made last year, picking up who you picked up, as well as the bench. I mean, the best bench in the NBA by far, in my opinion. Yeah. I just I, – yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I think you stick with what you have. I don't think you blow it up. One more year, and then blow it up if, if necessary. <laughs> yeah, but is that, was this a lesson too, though, Rob? I mean – Depth is great, in theory, until you get to the playoffs. Was this not an eye-opening that you need a superstar on your team and maybe DeMar DeRozan's not that superstar? Yeah, well, I think people you know, have always talked about that, that the NBA is a star-driven league and you, you, need, you need that elite talent and you need a big three or at the very least a big two. And, and maybe you know, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry aren't a big two. Maybe they're a medium two. I mean, they're all-star players. They're, they're very good players when they're on the top of their, at the top of their game. But you look at the teams that are left, and LeBron James, of course, and the Golden State Warriors, and you got James Harden and Chris Paul, and the Sixers have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and who knows how the Boston Celtics are doing it right now. I mean, they continue to prove everybody wrong with all the injuries that they've suffered. But even before that, they had Kyrie Irving, they had Gordon Hayward for about 10 minutes, but he's you know a pretty strong player as well. So you know the, the Raptors are going to have to find internal options you know you're hoping that the experience that a guy like delon wright and og ananobi was arguably the most you know positive sign for this whole playoffs is the job he did on lebron james i know lebron had a great series but he defended him well he yeah. shot the three really well so og ananobi i'm not saying he's going to be a star by any means but he definitely looks like he you know has that potential anyways uh, on both sides of the floor uh, you're hoping Pascal Siakam takes another step, Fred Van Fleet. So, um, you know, the depth is great, of course, um, and you're hoping these guys can take that next step forward. But, yeah, ultimately, it'd be nice if there was an elite player on this team or at least, you know, a third guy because as strong as Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan have been, Serge Ibaka was, you know, uh, a ghost early in this series. And Jonas Valanciunas had his moments, but we know the way – the, the the big man is going in the NBA. So it was difficult to match up with the Cavaliers. So yeah, it, it's, it's going to take a, probably an elite guy down the road, but um, you know, that's, that's something that this team just doesn't have right now. Rob, 
when we talk about fans, you probably have the highest influence fan in the NBA in Drake. <laughs> and obviously he took some storylines throughout the, throughout the playoffs, sparking at players and, you know, getting into it with uh, Kendrick Perkins, who I wasn't even sure was still in the league until that happened. So that was pretty good for him. But anyway, could I not make the argument with the influence that Drake has and the, the amount of NBA players look up to him? Could I not make the argument that the Raptors could not make a run at LeBron aside from maybe customs and weather. I mean, it looks like from a guy that's aging in his career, he has two guys that would easily be a big three and you have the depth. So he doesn't really have to be concerned with the, the, the playing time. And not only that, in terms of any kind of cap space, you have a lot of pieces that you can move like a Fred Van Vliet. I, I can't sit here and believe that guy is going to be an elite player from here on in. I think he's playing above himself, you know, so whether you keep him or get rid of him, you're going to get a higher return than you probably should. But can I not make that argument? Should this not be something that those guys, the Lowry's and DeRozan's who are tight with LeBron, who Drake is tight with LeBron, could they not try and at least make a pitch and look like they're, they're at least interested in making an effort? Well, I think what it comes down to is just the, the Raptors with the cap constraints. I mean, that's just not something that's feasible um, whatsoever. I mean, they're 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 going to bring back Fred Van Vliet. Most likely, he's a restricted free agent. And uh, while you may not be a big fan of his, I mean, I I definitely am. And I think you know the playoffs wasn't really indicative of what he did. I mean, the regular season was more of a bigger sample size, and he was healthy, right? You know, the shoulder injury definitely bothered him in the postseason. So yeah, when it comes down to something like that with LeBron James, and yeah, he may be friends with Drake, and they've done a lot of stuff off the court. Um, it really just comes down to what the Raptors have right now as far as the, the salary cap goes. I mean, that's just not something that um, is possible. You know, like we were talking earlier about, um, you know, maybe some free agents look at Toronto as a place that they, they don't really want to come to. I mean, as far as, you know, signing deals here. I don't know. I, I've never really bought into that. I think if the Raptors were a winning team and they had salary cap space, then, you know, maybe they could. I mean, uh, L- LaMarcus Aldridge had an, you know, had an interview with the Raptors. It was just sort of a courtesy thing, but at least he was considering it. And, you know, we've seen Serge Ibaka, you know, decide to resign. Maybe it was because he was only going to get the money here with the Raptors. But, you know, that that's a guy that decided to stay in the city. Nobody ever has a bad thing to say about the city of Toronto. So I think that's a little overblown that guys don't want to play here. But I think if you're looking at an opportunity, you know, maybe you would rather go to Houston. You would rather go to Golden State, of course. You, maybe you'd rather go to even Cleveland to play there just because you know the history in Toronto with the postseason hasn't worked out for them. So uh, all things being equal, yeah, maybe you would rather go to the other team. So um, we'll see. I mean, down the road when the Raptors have cap space and, you know, if they're still a winning team, we'll see if they're able to bring in an elite, you know, free agent. Um, but just as it stands right now, they just don't have the the flexibility or, or wherewithal to, to really do something like that right now. So you, we were talking earlier when you said, you know, hockey's obviously king. How hard has it been this year? Because there was the promise with the Raptors. The Leafs are starting to get a little bit more uh, expectations, especially after last year's uh, entrance to the playoffs and the fight that they had to get in. Uh, they had a great season this year, 105 points on the year. Is it a lot? Is it a little bit harder this year for Toronto fans to to swallow that there is no winter sports anymore? There's no more basketball. There's no more hockey, and it's now the the focus has shifted to the Blue Jays. Yeah, well, the Raptors definitely had, you know, the most expectations as we touched on, you know, people were talking about them going to the NBA finals and not that, you know, I was all in on that. But like I was saying before, I mean, you could definitely draw up a pathway for it to happen. I didn't think this Cavaliers team was any good. And I know they won a couple of games against the Raptors at the end of the season. But, you know, the playoffs are a different story. And uh, ultimately, um, it definitely showed uh, in that series that the Cavaliers were a much better team than the Raptors. But 
uh, yeah, it, it is disappointing for the city of Toronto because, you know, you thought the Maple Leafs, despite, you know, a tough matchup against the Boston Bruins, you know, maybe they were going to shock uh, shock the Bruins and head off to the second round. And look, they were leading heading into the third period. So they were 20 minutes away from coming back from a 3-1 deficit to do it. So, yeah, ultimately, definitely a, a disappointing season as far as the hockey fans and the basketball fans go in Toronto. And, and the Blue Jays have gotten off to an OK start. They, they've kind of fallen on their face a little bit here over the last couple of weeks so um like i was joking on twitter uh earlier uh in the raptors cavaliers series you know the the maple leafs are out the raptors are losing to the Cavs, and the blue jays are playing i mean it's it's may all over again in the city of toronto it's it's kind of the same old thing every year my question yeah it's kind of coming back to that my, eh? my, my question i mean obviously you've been a big uh fan of all toronto sports and whatnot for the long time or for the longest time I live in, you know, as Joey's mentioned, I live in San Francisco and I'm a diehard, you know, 49ers fan, diehard San Francisco Giants fan, but I despise the Warriors. And it's mainly because their fan base, like their fan base. A lot of people here, there were no shows back in the, the days when the Warriors were nothing, right? When they had Matt Barnes before the, you know, We Believe years or whatnot. How, how, what do you notice with Toronto fan base, with hockey, with basketball, with every other sport, right? Have they been consistent? They're always there, ride or die. That's one, one of the reasons why I started following the Celtics back in 2004. I was like, you know what? I really like the way they're all for their teams, you know, whether it's the Red Sox, you know, the Patriots and, and so on. So what's your, how do you feel about that fan base in Toronto? Well, when it comes to hockey, you know, it's definitely king. And, uh, you know, the joke is always, you know, it's impossible to get tickets. You have to know somebody to get tickets to a game because the the season tickets are always sold and um, there's such a long list of people waiting to buy them. And there was a stretch, I mean, a couple of years ago when the Maple Leafs were bad and they were quote unquote tanking for the first overall pick, you know, fans definitely did not show up to those games. Some of those lean years about three, four years ago. So, um, you know, the, that, that was pretty odd to see because uh, in the past uh, people would show up regardless because they love the Maple Leafs. But when it comes to the Raptors, yeah, the, the, even through the bad years, the, the Raptors fans were always there. They weren't always selling out games, but they had uh, pretty good attendance numbers, you know, considering there were other teams that were better than them at the time um, in the playoffs and not drawing as many people in the regular season. So, look, fans love their teams here in this city, whether it's the Raptors, whether it's the Maple Leafs, the Blue Jays, um, Toronto FC, you can include that as well. Um, but, you know, Fans like teams that win. And uh, I think moving forward, if the Raptors are not a good team, whenever they decide to blow this thing up and they try to rebuild, I don't think the attendance is going to really be there because uh, I think, you know, people will see that they're going in a different direction and maybe you have one or two guys that people want to come out to see, but uh, I don't think the attendance is going to be as strong. The Blue Jays are going through that a little bit right now where people are still in wait and see mode. And even back in 2015, when uh, they were an okay team at the beginning of the year before they made all those trades, the, the David Price trades and the Troy Tulowitzki trades, there weren't a ton of people. And then once they went on that crazy roll that summer, I mean, Rogers Center was sold out night in and night out. It was one of the best um, summers of baseball that this city has ever seen. So um, I think the fans will always be there. But I think moving forward, it, it, you know, depending on where these teams go, you know, the Maple Leafs are on the, the right side right now where they're, they're trending upwards. You know, people are going to come out to those games. But as far as the other ones, I, I think moving forward, the, there might be a little bit of a wait and see approach. Okay. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit too. Uh, we don't talk too much hockey on this podcast so far, but you know, we have to talk about the Leafs uh, a little bit when we're talking about Toronto, the Toronto sports scene in the NBA, there's the Sixers and the process. And then in Toronto, before the process, there was the Shanna plan uh, and selling patience to Toronto sports fans, as you and I know, is not an easy sell. 
but it seems to be that it's it's coming along. And last year, it seemed like it was coming along quicker than most may have expected. Uh, where do you see the patience for the payout with this? And where do you feel uh, the common understanding? Is there a common understanding as to where this is and what the expectation is before the results come, which would be a deep sta- a deep playoff run and hopefully a Stanley Cup win? Is there still that sense of patience, or does this have to turn around pretty soon, where we really see not just you know a, a fight against the Bruins, where you're actually beating these teams? Yeah, I wonder. Uh, This year, I think there is a section of the fan base that feels like it was a step back only because they went out in the first round as well. So they didn't, you know, take that next step forward as far as the results go. But I think there was a lot of growth this year. I mean, Austin Matthews, despite all the injuries, was a strong player, even though he struggled in the postseason. William Nylander, Mitch Marner were great again. And some of the guys on the back end really took a step forward. Morgan Riley and and Travis Dermott came up. And, you know, Frederick Anderson had a, a really strong season as well. So there were definitely a lot of positives. But I think, you know, heading into next year, the fans want to see some tangible growth as far as the results go. I mean, if the, the Maple Leafs go out in the first round again next year, then I think people are, are start, going to start getting a little impatient. But ultimately, this this team is still way ahead of where I think everybody thought they would be. Uh, I mean, last year was an incredible surprise for them to even make the playoffs just with all the rookies that they were playing. But I think next year is going to be the year. And uh, if they don't at least make it to the second round, not that there are going to be people calling for, you know, heads to roll and you know Mike Babcock needs to go but uh, I think you know as we move deeper into Austin Matthews and and Mitch Marner having to get paid as far as you know their entry-level deals are going to be up soon and they're going to start making big bucks it's it's going to be a lot more difficult to have a roster where you can uh, afford to bring in more veteran guys so I think next year is going to be the big one and uh, we'll see what happens Uh, with hockey you know anything can happen we we see teams like the Vegas Golden Knights who are unreal this year and they right Stanley Cup Finals so you know I'm not predicting that the Maple Leafs are going to make the Cup Final next year but they are a very good team and when they're playing at their best they they can beat anybody I mean they they were near the top of the league this year as far as the standings go for a reason Um, but it was a tough matchup against Boston and ultimately they were 20 minutes away from moving on so maybe we're even having a different conversation because they uh, most likely would still be playing at this point um, depending on you know the outcome of round number two but yeah it's I I think next year is really going to be the year for the Maple Leafs and and to see how the fan base reacts. I just wanted to follow that up with your read on Lamorello leaving because uh, obviously with the playoffs, there was a bit of, there's the whole uh, defensively for the, for the Maple Leafs and the whole bad game with Gardner. But uh, overall with what Lamorello's done so far, has he done his job in Toronto? Is this the time for him to leave? Has he left the foundation for the team to carry on? Or is there something that the team's going to have to react to with this consequence, I guess? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, Lou Lamorello is GM or was GM as far as the the title goes. But I think when you look at this organization, you know, Brendan Shanahan's right at the top. He's he's the president. Um, And, you know, I have to figure it's sort of a a group think, you know, when it comes to the Maple Leafs that Lou Lamorello and, you know, Brendan Shanahan may have the final say together, but I'm sure they're talking to Mike Babcock. They're talking to their assistant GMs. They're talking to their scouts. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a group. you know, group decision that they make and ultimately Lou and, and Brennan sign off on it. So, uh, look, <laughs> when it came down to Austin Matthews, that was a, a no brainer pick. I don't think anybody would disagree with that, but you know, some of the moves that they have made have looked a little bit questionable. You know, Nikita Zaitsev signing him to that long-term deal does not look very good right now. Um, you know, Patrick Marlowe was strong, but maybe, 
heading into next year and the year after, you know, maybe he does take a step back. And and Roman Polak definitely had his issues during the, the season. So um, there are certain moves and, and signings that you can definitely point to and say, um, you know, what was going on there. But I think on the whole, uh, it, it was a pretty strong run for, for Lou Lamorello. And, and Brendan Shanahan did say in the press release that this was what they agreed upon, that it was going to be, you know, three years and then he would move into a senior advisor role. So um, he laid the groundwork and, and has left a, a pretty strong team, of course. But um, yeah, whoever is next, whether it's Mark Hunter, whether it's Kyle Dubas or, or somebody coming in, they, they have the, a great groundwork here and they have a, a great roster to, to work with. So I think, you know, Lou Lamarillo for the most part, uh, if you want to believe that these were the moves that he signed off on and these were the moves that he did, it's, it's hard to argue that he had uh, more misses than he did uh, had hits. Theo, you, uh, this is more for you because I know outside of Toronto and outside of Canada, uh, the talk outside of basketball or hockey itself is always Maple Leaf Square or better known as Jurassic Park uh, and the viewing parties outside of the Air Canada Centre. Uh, so when you were looking at this this year and, and as it comes along, do you, is there anything that you wanted to know about that? Is there anything that really makes you want to go out there and, and be a part of that? What's the thing that's so intriguing about that, that Americans really want to talk about the fans being in outside of the arena as opposed to anything else? Really, I, I can't think, I can't think of a lot of actual sports and, and, and arenas and stadiums or whatnot that actually celebrate like that during a game. I mean, that, that's one thing I, I remember when I visited, uh, you and I went to Toronto for the first time. I actually took a video of that because I'm like, this is where Jurassic Park is, right? And where people go wild. And I remember years ago watching them in the playoffs and seeing how the fans would just erupt when when the Raptors came back or when the Raptors just whipped on a team, right? And it's amazing to see that in person, right? I would love to see it in person, in person, like during a natural game. But overall, it, it's I mean, it's it's beautiful there. It, it's it's a great culture that they have going on there. Yeah, it was a great idea for for you know major um, uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment to create something like that right outside the Air Canada Center, and you see it uh, across the league right now. And uh, hockey, for whatever reason, it, it works well for that, and, and we see it. Uh, last year in Nashville with the Predators when they were, went on the run. I mean, uh, everybody was out on Broadway, the, the main street there, watching the game and outside the arena. And uh, Vegas has been doing it. They have a little square outside T-Mobile Arena. So, um, yeah, it's a great idea. And uh, it's just a, a cool thing because it's free. You can go down. You can hang out with all the fans. And they have giveaways and things like that. And, and you can watch the highs and lows of the game. So um, I, it's a definitely a great experience. It's a lot more different than watching it at home with your friends or even watching it at a bar to be outside sometimes in the elements uh, sometimes it's raining but um, sometimes uh, it's beautiful sunshine or, or whatever it's a beautiful evening so it's just a really cool experience to watch it on a, on a massive screen like that so yeah the, the team's not even just uh, Maple Leafs Sports and Entertainment the, the Maple Leafs and Raptors owner but uh, a lot of other teams around the league and other sports have definitely started doing this and realized it's a cool idea so I don't think the Raptors uh, were the first ones to do it I, I feel like there were some other franchises that did something similar to that before having these watch parties but it's it's part of the experience now people um, know that you know come playoff time you can go to the Air Canada Center and you don't need a ticket you can just stand outside wait in line to try to get a spot and, and stand out there and watch the game you know that and it's funny you say that because it, it is I was about to bring that up as my question is the fact that this has been done before but it really does seem that Toronto kind of brought it to the next level. It was pioneered to a new level that no one had really seen before. But how does that add to the credibility maybe of the Toronto fan? You know, we were talking about like, you know, people that are like in, in uh, San Francisco in the Bay Area, you know, jumping on the bandwagon. But when you have that kind of a community outside, 
you couldn't afford a ticket. You couldn't find a ticket, but you can go to the venue itself and make as much, if not more noise outside with your fellow fans. How does that add to the credibility and to the whole overall experience of rooting for your home team? Yeah, I think it's just because the crowds are so big. I think that's what it is. You know, people that don't know about the Raptors fan base, they, they watch the game and you go, oh man, the atmosphere is inside. It's great. You know, they're chanting, we the North and, you know, let's go Raptors. And of course the, the arena is packed, but then they show the shot of outside and, you know, there's a couple thousand people outside the arena watching the game and, and people watching um, ho- at home are like, wow, there's 2,000, 3,000 more people outside just wanting to experience uh, all this right by the arena. So I think that just kind of builds the credibility as far as people realizing that there are a lot of fans, you know, watching basketball in Canada because there, of course, is that um, reputation that we're only about hockey up here north of the border. But um, like I was saying before, we are passionate about our, fa- our our teams, whether it's the Raptors, the Maple Leafs, the Blue Jays, Toronto FC. I mean, uh, uh, you know, fans in this city, uh, if there's a winning product or if there's something that they want to get behind, they will throw their whole support. So um, whether it's Jurassic Park and the Raptors or when it's Maple Leaf Square for the Maple Leafs, you know, people are going to be there. Uh, sometimes the weather's bad and, and they shut it down or um, maybe not as many people show up because of it. But um, when the weather's great, I mean, they, they sometimes have to push people even further back into the streets and kind of and kind of double up. So uh, there's been moments where they, they've been uh, kind of packed to the brim and they've had to open up some more spots. So it's it's like I said before, it, it just has become part of the experience now with the Raptors being in the playoffs the last four or five seasons and the Maple Leafs being in the playoffs the last couple of years that, you know, this is part of it if you don't want to watch it at home you can go down to the arena and watch it outside question rob for you what's the most memorable moment of sports for the last 10 years for you and and for just anything for in canada whether it's you know it's football Ooh. hockey anything like that what's one moment that stands that i know joe always tells me you know that one of his favorite moments is uh uh that famous home run by Joe yeah. Carter, right? You know, that's always going to be known as, you know, even even outside of Canada, I feel like, you know, because I'm a big baseball fan myself, that's well known out here in the States. That's well known out here in San Francisco, one of the best home runs to hit in all, all time, right? What's your all, one of your all-time favorite moments just over the last decade? Oh, man, uh, that's tough. I have a pretty terrible memory about some things. So, um, look, ultimately, uh, playoff success, I think, is where most people look to first. And despite not winning the World Series, the Blue Jays went on a couple of really strong runs in 2015 and 2016. And I think if you asked most people in the city, what's been your favorite moment over the last 10 years, it's got to be Jose Bautista's bat flip against the Texas Rangers. I mean, that, that whole game, that seventh inning, we'll never see anything like that. And to have that moment as a uh, Toronto sporting fan uh, is, is really legendary. And it, you know, and it won a series and won a game. It didn't win a championship, but you know, that moment in time, it was sort of like, you know, you could see the relief in Jose's face, but it was sort of like we finally got over that hump and, you know, we it decompressed. Yeah, we've been banging on the, the door for so long, you know, with the Blue Jays. It's been 20 plus years of not making it to the playoffs and people, you know, don't really think about us. And they finally had a good team in 2015. And uh, Jose Bautista, a guy that's obviously, you know, gone through a lot in his career for him just personally. I mean, that was a big moment. But for Toronto sports fans, I think if you asked uh, anybody what's been your favorite Toronto sporting moment over the last 10 years, I feel like 95 percent of people would probably say um, the bat flip from Joey Bats. You know what? It's kind of funny, too, because it does seem, at least in our lifetime, Rob, that most of the Toronto, like the legendary Toronto moments, that if you do remember it, it's negative, whether from basketball and hockey. But then when you go to 
the baseball, that's where the, the positive ones come out, even though they, other than the World Series one, uh, though Joe Carter winning the World Series, you know, the, the Batista one, we don't really remember what happened after that. And I, I firmly believe the further down we go in history, no one will really remember what happened after they beat Texas. But everybody's going to remember the home run. What is it about baseball that allows us to hold on to the, to the good moments and why we tend to hold on to some of the, the bad moments. And what, you know, I think of like the, the, the Leafs in 93 with the Gretzky high stick, you know, it always seems to be something bad against the Toronto team, but then in baseball, we really focus on the good. I, have you ever really stopped? I, I'm just coming up with this now. I don't really have anything to really justify the thought, but have you ever stopped to think about how weird baseball can be in that sense in, in the Toronto for the Toronto sports fan? Yeah. I, you know, I think with the blue Jays, there's just been a lot of great postseason moments in the world series. Definitely are a big part of that. And the 2015, 2016 seasons with the blue Jays, there, there were a lot of great moments. But I just think as far as the Toronto sports fans, uh, it's just because the other teams have been so bad for so long. And the Blue Jays have been the only team uh, outside of Toronto FC, of course, but they've been the only team to win a championship in the last, you know, of course, what is it, 60 plus years now, um, almost since the, the Maple Leafs um, won uh, a title. So back in uh, 1967. So it's been a long time for that. So I think that that's a big reason why, just because the Blue Jays have been the only team to be successful. So we think about baseball as far as the city goes. But I think if you, you talk about, you know, the Raptors, I mean, they've, they've had their moments, but ultimately people think more about the negative, especially the last three seasons losing to LeBron James, the Maple Leafs haven't been to the playoffs very much, and they, they've really struggled. But uh, moving forward, maybe that changes. I mean, the, this, this era of Maple Leafs hockey has been one of the more exciting ones. Having Austin Matthews has been incredible to watch. And, you know, maybe as, as you know, time goes on, maybe people will reflect on this Raptors team despite – them not you know getting to the promised land and, and we'll see because I, I have to imagine this era is going to continue because like we talked about before DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are most likely going to be back but I think you know 10-15 years from now people are going to look at this era and say you know what despite not getting over that hump there there were a lot of great moments and for Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan to put basketball back on the map as far as Canada goes in the NBA we the North era was ultimately a successful one even though they didn't have a ton of playoff success so um, I think just coming to uh, with regards to baseball I just think it's because the teams in the city have had success as opposed to the other teams I mean I think if the Maple Leafs had won a Stanley Cup or if the Raptors have gone to an NBA Finals or whatever we'd probably be talking about that more uh, in this city as opposed to the Blue Jays so I think it's just coming down to to actual success in the postseason one last question for you Name three athletes that really made you fall in love with sports growing up. Oh, man. Uh, Roberto Alomar, uh, of course, of the Toronto Blue Jays. He was their best player. And my name being Robert, uh, I think that's definitely one reason why I kind of uh, gravitated to him. But he was an exciting player, of course, a Hall of Famer. Um, I loved watching him grow up. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of other ones. You know, for me, basketball I kind of jumped all over the place uh, I was a big Ray Allen fan growing up but I also loved like street ball so I love guys like Jason Williams and I loved guys like Ray for Alston who played for the Raptors back it's my Lou of course of you know and one street ball fame so uh, you know I think ultimately I, I had a lot of favorites there wasn't one or two guys that really jumped out to me so Roberto Alomar is one that always stuck with me um, in hockey I was always um, a big fan of guys like Eric Lindros and a big fan of guys like Yarmer Yager and even this era with Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. So 
Um, there hasn't been, you know, three guys necessarily that have really shaped the way I look at sports or really got me into it as outside of Roberto Alomar. I mean, I had a lot of favorites growing up, so um, I'm not trying to cop out on the answer here, but it's just the fact that, I mean, I just liked a lot of players growing up. If you look to my closet, as far as the basketball jerseys go, had a lot of different ones, Kobe Bryant and, and Vince Carter and uh, Ray Allen, like I was touching on. So I think uh, I, I've gone through different stages as well. Um, you know, I liked basketball a lot growing up. And as I've become older, I've become a big baseball fan. Um, you know, if we're talking about transcendent athletes, you know, Tiger Woods is a guy I think we've all grown up, um, really enjoyed watching him. And he's had a big impact on me watching golf. I never thought I would growing up. But, you know, with what Tiger Woods did for the game, um, even now that he's back to, uh, you know, at least playing, he's got his moments where um, he's definitely showing like the old Tiger. But um, he's a, the only reason really why I watch golf now. I mean, I, I love the sport because um, it's such a difficult one. And I, I appreciate the challenge because I played a little bit myself. But um, yeah, Tiger Woods, uh, Roberto Alomar, definitely two of the guys that stand out. And then everybody else is kind of in the mix for me. Rob, two things. You always struck me as a Nick Antropov guy. <laughs> And I'm, I'm almost positive. I think you could admit there was one point in you, throughout high school where you tried to impose a self nickname of Roberto. Uh, well, I had a buddy that called me Roberto, uh, like when we were six or seven years old because of the Blue Jays. So, um, and you kind of hoped it stick. Well, he's the only one that calls me that, uh, even to this day, which is pretty hilarious. Nobody else calls me Roberto except for him uh, when I see him. But uh, it's funny you mentioned Nick Antropov because uh, we actually did a show on Saturday, the the show that I do normally, Sportsnet today. Um, from 10 to 2. And Nick Andrebaugh was one of our guests. He was uh, taking part in the uh, Scotiabank uh, uh, Pro-Am in support of Alzheimer's yeah. for, uh, in support of Baycrest, I should say, for Alzheimer's. So um, it was pretty cool getting to talk to Nick Andrebaugh, a former Leaf, of course, and, um, you know, one of the guys from when they were really good uh, almost 20 years ago during that um, era with Matt Sundin. So it's funny to bring up Nick Andrebaugh because uh, I just talked to him the other day. A few months ago, I interviewed him, actually. He was here for a, a, some sort of pro-am game, and uh, his son actually plays for Oshawa in the OHL, so covering the North Bay Battalion. I've seen him come around uh, a couple times throughout the year, so that's kind of funny. But you know what? Uh, that's uh, It's good that you're showing love to Nick Antropov <laughs> because I feel like he, he needs it. But, Rob, uh, before we let you go, where can people find you on social media? Where could they hear you uh, on the airwaves? Give us uh, give us the details of where you could be found. Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter, at Wong sn590 uh just heads up i tweet a lot of nonsense i mean i do tweet a lot about sports but i definitely tweet a lot about uh, pop culture and all different kind of random things and uh of course you can hear me on sportsnet 590 the fan uh i'm pretty much all over the place but the only time that i'm i'm locked in 90 percent of the time uh, i host the sportsnet hot stove from uh, 10 to 2 eastern uh in the morning on saturday or sorry i should say 10 to 12 eastern on saturday mornings and then uh 12 to 2 as far as uh, Sportsnet today goes, the show we do after. So um, Saturdays is our pretty much where you can find me on the fan. And then uh, other than that, uh, all over the place, do a lot of evening shows, uh, occasionally fill in uh, during the weekdays. So um, I'm, uh, I, I don't really have a set schedule, but I wouldn't rather have it any other way. I mean, I like sort of not exactly, uh, it's not that I don't know what I'm doing because we have our schedule, but I, I like being all over the place and being able to do uh, a lot of different things here at the radio station. And is John Mayer the greatest blues guitarist of our time? Uh, John Mayer is incredible. Uh, I never thought I would like John Mayer. I mean, growing up in high school, um, uh, he was especially Room for Squares. So see, this is the random stuff we get into in my Twitter account. But like Room for Squares, when Your Body is a Wonderland came out, I was like, why do I want to listen to this? But then I dug more into John Mayer and realized that 
you know, beyond that pop song, he's an incredible guitarist. And now that he's matured, his music's a lot uh, different, of course. And, and I actually saw him when he came to Toronto um, last year. And uh, it was a bucket list thing. I'd never seen him before. And it's one of the best concerts I've ever been to. So I hope to see him again. Uh, but yeah, John Mayer, I feel like, not that he's underrated, because I think people definitely know who he is. And, and the hardcore fi- hardcore fans uh, realize just how good he is. But I think a lot of people still think of him as the Your Body as a Wonderland guy. And it doesn't do him um, any good, because he's, he's way more than that guy. Just bought Room for Squares on vinyl. <laughs> Next time he's in Toronto, you're taking me to a concert because I've never seen him play. There you go. That does it for episode four. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Rob Wong. Of course, take a little time, see where you can follow him on social media. And of course, follow us. We're on Facebook, the Fan Wagon Podcast. But more importantly, if you haven't done so already, get on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast. If you have a moment, give us a review. We like to hear your honest opinion of what you want to hear and what you like and what you don't like. It's your show. Let us give you the best show possible. We'll see you next week aboard the Fan Wagon.